It's time to set aside the superficial. It's time to go deeper. It's time to engage in truth. Here's John Bornchain. Well, everybody, welcome back to Engage in Truth. This is John Bornchain. I'm a senior pastor of Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley Church right here at Colorado Springs. I'm so excited that you're tuning in again today. We have a very special guest in the studio I want to introduce you to. As we've now wrapped up our discussion on the age of the earth, the physics of heaven, we've had a lot of fun over the last few weeks, and I want to encourage you to go and check out those broadcasts and more. If you've not listened to those and I've piqued your interest, please go to calvaryfountain.com and download those at your leisure and share them with your friends and family alike. My special guest in the studio, he is one who is really on the front lines in the culture today, battling a culture war. And you're thinking, well, wait a minute, isn't this the Christmas season? Well, it is. The Christmas season is certainly upon us, and I don't know about your schedule, but mine, I look at the weekends that are coming up all the way to Christmas, and I'm thinking, I have no time for anything else. It is uh, dominating every uh, waking moment, it seems. But I do find that there is a sense of great joy and celebration in it as we recognize the greatest gift ever of Jesus Christ our Lord. And certainly this is a season of cheer. And for many, they're putting up Christmas lights. Maybe you're one of them. Maybe your house looks like the Griswolds. I don't know. Maybe you have just covered your house with lights and and you're thinking about all your presents, maybe watching some Hallmark movies in the evening hours, but for others. And I will tell you, as a pastor, I am already working on the fourth funeral just since Thanksgiving. It is a difficult time for some. So on one perspective, we have celebration, and rightfully so, And on the other, we have people who are going through great difficulties and struggles. We need to be mindful of that because this can be a time of great grief and struggle for many. And at the same time, the confusion of wanting just to celebrate and praise God because that's the right position we should all be in as we celebrate God with us. Emmanuel had come and indeed is with us. And I think about even during the Christmas story, we can talk about that, how there was celebration that the Lord had come, 355 prophecies fulfilled. Jesus Christ had come. And yet at the same time, what we find that while there's celebration that Jesus Christ had been born, all the baby boys, two years of age and younger, would be killed at the hand of Herod. And so we see that there's there's great difficulty, at the same time, great celebration. So there's a time of mixed emotions at this season, especially as we interview individuals who are on the front lines in our culture. As you know, we've interviewed individuals who are in law enforcement, uh, medical community, and all sorts of individuals who are out there dedicating their time, life, and service in dedication to service to others. And with that comes great sacrifice. And we know that these are very special individuals because they have put others ahead of their own interests, even at this time of year when individuals are working long hours and sacrificing a great deal that uh, many would benefit from it. And so my very special guest here in the studio is Steve Ryder, and he is the founder of the Never Alone Project. Now, maybe that's somewhat new to you as I, if you just heard those words for the very first time, because sometimes we're not aware of all the different ministries and organizations that are out there. And that's why I'm glad that you're listening to Engage in Truth here today, because I want to introduce you to this very important ministry work, this very important legislative work and organizational work that's happening through the Never Alone Project. So, Steve, welcome to Engage in Truth. Thanks, brother. It's great to be on. Great to be with you again. (laughs) Absolutely. Steve and I have worked together for many years, and uh, and although our paths have gone different routes recently, as we've now, you know, all those years that focus on the family and 
family talk ministries and so forth. And, and, and the Lord kind of scattered us around the city into different ministries. And I've had the privilege of now of being a senior pastor at Calvary Fellowship. And Steve, I know you've been in broadcast and doing all kinds of innovative work, even in audio broadcasting. Yeah. And, and I would love for you to share on all of that. But my heart for you, brother, yeah. I know that you have been on the front lines. I've seen you recently in the news, even as of late. You need to be on all the news stations mm. for what has been happening with this new powerful organization that you have put together. Tell us a little bit about this. If you could take us back, because you have a very uh, emotional story, and I think people need to hear the details if you're okay sharing it all. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so um, uh, my wife Elizabeth dealt with health issues nearly our entire marriage. Early on, she was diagnosed with uh, lupus and rheumatoid arthritis, and that posed a number of challenges over the years. And then in 2014, she was diagnosed with pulmonary hypertension when she was uh, brought into the hospital, uh, admitted to University of Colorado Hospital Anschutz campus with an enlarged heart that was failing at a congestive level. Um, When the doctors came to me, they said, Steve, this is an end of life kind of situation. And uh, but she really turned it around. I mean, those three weeks that she was there in November and December of 2014, we were in there 24-7 with her, holding her hand, rubbing her feet, encouraging her, praying over her, casting a vision for our f- shared future. Mm-hmm. And uh, the doctors were actually really amazed at her turnaround because, I mean, when she was admitted, they said, Steve, this is an end-of-life kind of situation. She may not make it out. And when she was officially diagnosed with pulmonary hypertension, the head of pulmonology there at UCH, um, Anschutz campus, all the nurses told me that Dr. Battish was world-renowned as a pulmonologist. He pulled me aside and he said, Steve, I, want, I don't want to be the bearer of bad news, but this diagnosis really means that there's a significant chance your wife may not be around to see her youngest graduate high school. And Caleb was eight at the time, so he was basically saying, in the next 10 years, she could be gone. And he went on to explain that you know, it was either an infection risk or eventually, based on the current technology, the meds eventually stop working, in which case then it's just a slow, agonizing heart failure death that eventually just takes over between that blood pressure between the heart and lungs. And so she, she dealt with a lot of health issues over our marriage. And so right at the beginning of COVID, she thought she had it. Um, so she had a really good friend uh, who um, her husband worked for the DOD and they were exhibiting COVID symptoms and Elizabeth started exhibiting COVID symptoms. And so that very first Monday after the shutdown, I mean, right when things were happening, NBA season is paused, NCAA brackets, NCAA men's and women's tournaments, all the women's, all the, all the tournaments were canceled. Mm. Right at that time, that Monday, she went in for, for a COVID test. And two weeks later, when we finally got that result, it was a negative test. And so it was, she was up and down over the course of those ne- next seven weeks uh, because of the way in which we shut down, her doctor would only see her over virtual visits, thinking that it was a false negative and that she was positive. Mm-hmm. And because I was exhibiting some symptoms, that I was also positive. And so it's just COVID. And because we had all the equipment that, that we needed at home, uh, we were being treated vir- over virtual visits. But it wasn't COVID. Instead, mm-hmm. it was a bacterial infection that just slowly kept ramping up and turned into double pneumonia and a blood infection. And on April 28th, at about 3 in the morning, she woke up throwing up, wasn't able to keep even a sip of Gatorade down after about two, maybe two and a half hours of throwing up. Mm. We, we made the call, yeah, you need to go to the hospital. And so she was admitted, immediately tested for COVID, negative. 
I went and got tested. Day or two later, my, my results came back in and it was also negative. And I thought, okay, sweet. I'll get an exemption. I'm negative for COVID. She's negative for COVID. They're not letting anyone in at the hospital at University of Colorado Hospital at this point. And I'm like, I'll get an exemption and I'll be able to be in with her. No, hmm. no visitors. And I called the hospital and I tried getting a hold of, you know, some leadership. They wouldn't take my calls. The only two people that would take my calls were the nurse on her floor, the head nurse on her floor and the patient advocate office. Wow. And the head nurse told me no exceptions except for imminent death. And I told them, I said, listen, the first night that she was there with you guys, she thought she was genuinely, the next morning she told me, I thought I was going to choke to death on my own phlegm. Mm. No. But I had my own personal protective equipment that, that you guys provide that I, I change her bandages. I change her, the bandage over her Hickman line. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, I've, I've cut her infection rate by more than two thirds. So this was only her second infection in Five plus five and a half years of being diagnosed with this. And they were like, no, I'll pay whatever you guys want for markup rates for a hazmat suit, whatever you guys require. If I have to, if I have to scrounge up $10,000, I'll do it. Let me be with my wife because I saw how being with her in 2014, this end of life situation, mm. and this time it, it was serious, but it, but they didn't say it was an end of life situation. She had dealt with pneumonia in the past. And so, uh, yeah, just I'll do whatever you want, whatever rules, whatever restrictions you want to do. If I have to wear a mask every second that I'm there, I'll do it. And if I'm caught without a mask, I'm gone. Right. If I'll be quarantined, stuck in her room, only escorted in and out. And if I step out without that escort, I'm gone. I'll, 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 whatever rules you guys want, please let me be in there with my wife. Yeah. And the answer was always no. And so she was there for 21 days and um, about halfway through, she was moved into ICU with bleeding in one of her lungs. And I got a call about two in the morning. Your wife's bleeding in one of her lungs. We're moving into ICU. Don't come up. Hmm. What do you mean? Don't come up. Right. Wow. I got a call a couple hours later. Hey, we, we think we've isolated it. It's one or two small arteries there in her lungs. We're, we're cauterizing them. We're, we're getting them taken care of. We're um, hitting her with some coagulants because she had been on blood thinners for years because of the pulmonary hypertension. So um, we, we think we've got it isolated. Don't come up. Really? Don't come up? And so um, it, was a, it was a slow recovery from that setback. And uh, on the 21st day, on May 19th, 2020, we had a phone call at about three in the afternoon, 11 minutes. I looked back at my, at, at my, it was a FaceTime call. And um, she had, she had told me earlier that day that uh, the doctors were looking at releasing her the next day within the next three days, but it was looking like it was going to be Wednesday, the 20th of 2020. And uh, we had a great conversation where it was like, okay, what do you want for meals? Um, how, how, you know, I'm going to have some of your friends come over so that way you're getting that community, that love, that attention, that touch that had been stolen from her hmm. through this forced isolation. And, and I was like, I, I don't want to overwhelm you. So, you know, how often would you want a friend to come over and hang out? And what do you want for your, what's your, what meals do you want us to make? What meals do you want us to order in? Let us know. And we, we started to kind of nail down those details. Hmm. And 30 minutes later, after we after I hung up that phone call, I got a call from the hospital. And I thought, sweet. All right. Details about tomorrow. She's being released tomorrow, and I'll, I'm getting details, or maybe they're releasing her tonight. 
Right. So I'm going up to go pick her up. So answer it. And the first thing they said was, the nurse told me was, your wife's gone into cardiac arrest. You need to get up here now. It's a 90 minute drive for me to get up there. I jumped up and I looked at the boys and I looked at my mom who was out there kind of helping out because I was doing a full media push to try and get in there into the hospital. And, um, so I looked at them and I said, your mother's gone into cardiac arrest. Start praying, jump in the car, drive. I'm calling people. And about the time I hit interquest and I 25, I called back to the hospital and they said they were still doing chest compressions. And I knew at that point I wasn't going to see my wife alive again. Got to the hospital and, uh, it was the hardest thing I've ever done. I wept from a place that I, I didn't even know it was so guttural. And so, uh, yeah, in, in, in coming out of that, if, even while I was trying that media push to try and get in there. I was hearing story after story after story after story of forced isolation. And it, John, it just didn't, it doesn't make, it doesn't make sense to me to this day. Hmm. Was this the plan all along Hmm. to completely and totally shut down the hospitals and delay essential treatments and, um, you know, completely stop elective treatments and, for people to be forced to be alone and to completely shut down the nursing homes and long-term care facilities and isolate our elderly from, from that critical touch, that critical companionship. It, this couldn't have been the plan. This couldn't have been the plan because if, if, if it was, it failed miserably because the, one of the things I heard of, well, we, we're not sure we have enough personal protective equipment. What? You, where are the stockpiles? You, 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 you think you, we, when, when, it, when, when SARS was in the news and bird flu and swine flu and MERS and Zika and Ebola and all of these viruses that, that were supposed to be the next pan, potential pandemic, we, we, we didn't see this coming. We didn't listen to the experts that were, that were saying like Bill Gates, who was saying, we, we have a pandemic going to be coming. We need to be prepared. Where were those stockpiles that would allow us to balance that need? I fully understand the need to protect doctors, nurses, staff, and other patients. I completely and totally understand that, but we can't let individuals die on the vine and rot because study after study, after study, after study shows Isolation, loneliness, increases mortality. That's right. There, I, I saw one study where it was anywhere from 26 to 52 percent. And then there was another study that in elderly people, elderly people, the most lonely, were 2.5 times more likely to die prematurely than the people with the strongest social connections. Mm-hmm. Why? What, why are we doing this to people? It doesn't make sense. And so that's why I created the Never Alone Project because that we need to have enshrined in law and get the regulatory change needed to protect the patient's right to have at least one screened visitor per day, no time limits. That's right. And you hit the nail on the head there. I mean, Steve, the, the statistics, the data that's coming out on this is, is alarming. 
uh, that we're seeing now physical diseases that are exacerbated by loneliness, Alzheimer's, obesity, diabetes, high blood pressure, heart disease, neurodegenerative diseases, even cancer. They say that tumors can metastasize faster in lonely people. And I have to believe that God has allowed you to go through this very traumatic ordeal so that you can be as passionate as you are to get out there on every airwave you can yeah. to get the word out, to implore people, even those listening right now, we can be part of a solution, a necessary change for the health and well-being of people who are struggling. I can tell you that even as a church, while we were ministering to various retirement homes, and we would send people there and give the gospel message and sing with them, bring in guitar players and do worship music. And we were expelled from those environments, not allowed to go pick them up, and then eventually maybe allowed to meet with them outside the doors. We're uh, preventing some of the greatest health measures possible from infiltrating these areas of the greatest need. And so you're a mouthpiece for what I believe many are feeling right now and struggling to articulate, or maybe they're they're not even realizing that these are still going on, and yet it is. And you mentioned that even before we went to air, that this is still happening all across the country of isolation and loneliness where people are being prevented from seeing their loved ones. In the last two weeks, I have gotten three or four phone calls of from friends who their mom, mother-in-law, and mom were hospitalized and um, either with COVID or after the hospitalization were diagnosed with COVID, tested positive for COVID. Mm. And as soon as that positive test came, zero visitors, none. Wow. And, and you would think at this point with the vaccine, with antibody tests, with everything that they would allow people in. Now, I know not all hospitals are doing that, not all. But right. these are the phone calls that I've got. And it breaks my heart because if we want people to come home, they need someone there. I believe with everything in me, John, mm. everything in me, had we been allowed in, my boys would still have their mother because I saw the turnaround in 2014, John. Mm. I saw it. End of life situation, congestive heart failure, enlarged heart. She came home. And I believe... I. I believe with everything in me, had we been allowed in, my boys would still have their mother. There's something about the unbelievable gift of human contact that God has given to us. Uh, I remember we studied uh, the case at Focus on the Family on Emory, and uh, Jim Weidman was my uh, uh, executive director at the time, and he was passionate for this case study on Emory because Emory was a little boy who was born without a brain. So statistically, I mean, he shouldn't have even lived beyond the womb. And, and so he, he was, the parents were being convinced to abort the little baby boy, and they refused. They said, God is the giver of life. He is the one who's in charge of this. He brings life, and he is the one who determines our last day, our last breath. And so they, they went ahead and went through the full-term pregnancy, delivered little Emery, and he was born without a brain, had a brain stem. And it was interesting because according to all those statistics, he shouldn't have lived even maybe a week. And yet he lived, if I recall, something like three years. And he responded to human touch. All of his anatomy responded every single time he was touched and hugged. Uh, He would wiggle or even try to cry a little bit. I'm not sure that he got a sound out. Uh, But you could see how he was reacting to the human condition, the gift of contact and the embrace of a mother and Mm -hmm. love. 
And, and so all of those statistics just showed us very clearly this need that individuals should not be alone. And, and, and there are a number of factors why we know that individuals can end up alone. But in these cases, you've got family members that are literally banging on the outside of the door saying, let us say goodbye. Let us see them. And I remember the pictures of you outside the window looking at your wife from afar. Heartbreaking. And, and it's not just the families that are dying to get in. It's it's just as much the patients that are awake, that are able to, they want their family with them. Mm-hmm. I, um, Tim Geithner, who is the state representative who has run, um, sponsored the two bills that we've put before the Colorado House. Mm-hmm. And the reason that he reached out to me is because at the same time, he had a friend who was at University of Colorado Hospital Anschutz, and essentially he was begging, he was begging for his family to be allowed in. He had some brain um, surgery and was there and he was begging because he was just, he, he was so lonely while he was there and the hospital would not release him. And, they, and he was like, fine, I'm just going to leave. And they said, if you leave without a doctor signing off, you are going to be on the hook for all these bills. So essentially, he was a hostage there at the hospital. Mm. Wow, and 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 so it's this is a bipartisan issue. We it, it should be a bipartisan issue, but sadly, it, but sadly, all the opposition has come from the Democrats. Mm. Now, in 2020, we got a bill through. We we proposed a bill that was gutted right before it went to committee. It was turned from a requirement to a suggestion that hospitals review their visitation policy, and it was gutted by the Democrats. And the hospital association. Hmm. And, and so Tim came back to me and was like, listen, this really is a toothless bill. Do we want to move forward with it? And I said, really, a symbolic victory is just still a victory nonetheless. So let's hmm. do it. And, and fortunately, University of Colorado Hospital Anschutz did change the visitation policy between when the Senate passed it and the governor signed it. So I think it did have some impact, but they did change their policy back later. And in 2021, we tried running a, a, a stronger bill, but it didn't make it out of committee because zero Democrats voted for it. Wow. And I do have some Democrats who are supportive of this, hmm. but sadly, they're all about protecting the doctors, nurses, staff at the expense of the individuals. And all I'm asking is that it be balance, balance that. Balance that protecting of the doctors, nurses, staff, other patients, mm. and giving the individual the love and care and touch that they desperately need to make it home. Because if the purpose of a hospital is to heal people, yeah. why are we hindering that process? Why are we making it more difficult? Why are we increasing mortality and decreasing that healing? That's right. It doesn't make sense. Well, and biblically, you know, obviously we've got a lot of listeners right now who are Christians, and maybe they're greatly burdened by what they've just heard, because maybe they're, they, what do I do? What do I do? Well, I, I think biblically, we need to have a proper worldview over this, because we need to carry each other's burdens. Galatians 6.2 tells us to do that. We're to look out for one another, according to Philippians 2.4, loving one another and building one another up, according to 1 Thessalonians 5.11, and know what the Lord requires of us, and it's time to put that faith into action. In 1 John 3, 17 18, we read, But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does, God, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. 
powerful word. And I think that as, as believers, we have a responsibility then not to sit on our hands on this, not to be apathetic or, or even shake our head in frustration, go to Facebook and simply vent our frustration, but rather to be people of change, change agents in the culture. And Steve, I know you need all the support you can get right now. I mean, financially, even just a word of encouragement, people willing to stand with you and say, let's make a difference. Let's change the policies or implement policy that will change lives. And that's what Engage in Truth is here for. So in our Final seconds here. I want to encourage you as you've been listening now to my dear friend, Steve Ryder, as you've heard his heartbreaking story, as you have perhaps felt convicted to do something about this, I want to encourage you to go and check out Never Alone Project. And to find out more about that, the website is neveralonepandemic.org. Again, that's neveralonepandemic.org. Learn more about how you can raise awareness on this issue mobilize people to action, seek legislative and regulatory change, and ultimately how we can bring healing together in our community. Steve, thank you for being on Engage in Truth. Thank you, John. Well, God bless you, my friends, and we'll see you next week. Take care.